I shall leave you as you left me. As you left her. Around for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. This is Matt. And this is Manny. This is Sequelitis. Yes, welcome to another episode of Sequelitis, where we are going to talk about Star Trek sequels. Yeah, we have just watched a whole lot of Star Trek, and we're ready to talk about it. I am the Star Trek fan that was introducing Manny to all these movies. Um, I am a big fan of all the Star Trek movies. Uh, the series, I'm so-so on. Uh, the movies, I'm, I'm a bigger fan, because I'm a movie fan in general. Yeah, and I'm not much of a Trekkie at all. Like, uh, Were you impressed with the things that I did know about Star Trek when we are talking about it, or not really? Impressed? I mean, no, it sounded like a lot of stuff that you, you picked up here and there on like, people that were trying to kind of make fun of Star Trek. Yeah. Well, I was meaning more from like the aspect of like somebody who doesn't isn't a, is not a fan of Star Trek, but you know, did it seem like I had a lot of knowledge? But it doesn't sound like you think that. So uh, well, let's let's go to one thing. So well, uh, how how was it like you imagined, and how was it not? Because you no, I just I just didn't know if you thought I would know nothing about Star Trek. Um, and so you were surprised to find out that I actually did know some stuff oh, about no. Star Trek. There was nothing that. You, well, well, when you mentioned the Kobayashi Maru, that you like remembered that. that yeah, was... but I know that from Kevin Smith, Smodcast. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the only that's the only time I remember hearing that name outside of maybe t- somebody talking about Star Trek, and I didn't know what the fuck they were talking well, about. Well, uh, because they do the Kobayashi Maru in the movie, and yeah, in the, the first one is the one where Kirk like cheats on the test or whatever. And then they reference it. I think they reference it some more in the next one. Yeah, well, they also referenced that in uh, Star Trek 2009, didn't they? Yeah, that's what I was saying. That was yeah. the one where we actually took the test. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I did last night on my own is I watched uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. And so how did you feel about it being compared to Rathacon? You've seen them both for the first time, back to back. Yeah, well, I think a good place to start is to just talk about, like, since it's same director, same universe, talk about how uh, Into Darkness compared to Star Trek 2009, and your thinking was that I hadn't seen Star Trek, even though I'm pretty sure I watched it with you, um, but you also were quick to jump, you know, to the conclusion that I did not like it, yeah. and, you know, that I'm sure there was, like, some impersonation of me being like, Oh, it's stupid. I like it. J.J. Yeah. Abrams sucks. Let me guess. Kirk's trying to get around the galaxy, screwing a bunch of chicks, and Spock's a Vulcan. Hmm. Yeah, No yeah. thanks. So that's how you picture me. But no, <laughs> I, I watched it. I was reluctant to watch it. You really talked me into watching it. When I did watch it, I was like, actually, yeah, this is this is a pretty good movie. It's not a great movie. Yeah. But for... You know what a movie's supposed to be entertaining. You yeah. know, maybe get you thinking a little bit, surprise you if it can. Uh, I think it did that. The Into Darkness, the sequel, uh, that was a disappointing film and a frustrating film, and at times a perplexing film, just because you think, how can people keep fooling each other and not be able to like see what's coming? But especially the character of Captain Kirk, if he's such a, a, a bright, you know, think-on-your-feet kind of guy, 
Yeah. How does he get fooled twice and just never see things that are almost painfully obvious to the audience? As far as in Into Darkness? Yeah, as far as that movie, Into Darkness. And uh, we'll, we'll just start from the very beginning. That whole sequence at the beginning was, was garbage. It was nonsense. Uh, it really just put a bad taste in my mouth for that movie from You're the very start. You're talking about like the Indiana Jones opening sequence? Yeah, we go from Raiders of the Lost Ark to, um, you know, uh, the Phantom Menace. Because like when, when they jump into the water, the way that they swim, it's like... You know, are those, are they wearing like dolphin suits under the costumes that they wore to steal the whole, you know, uh, scroll or whatever it is that they take? Yeah. Um, but the whole thing about, you know, oh, well, we can't take off the ship to go save Spock because for some reason we dangled him from the bottom of the ship to put a cold fusion suitcase bomb in the middle of an active volcano. And we couldn't see it coming, but that went really bad. Yeah. And now Spock's trapped in this volcano. And the only thing that we can do is, for some reason, we hid the Enterprise under the ocean. Yeah. And so now we have to fly it out where these people are going to see us, even though they probably saw us landed in the ocean. At least yeah. one person did. And that's the only way we can get Spock out of the mountain, you know, with his cold fusion suitcase bomb. Which, yeah. okay, uh, science pop quiz. Is that how cold fusion works? No. That it freezes a volcano from the inside. Well, the, the thing, I mean, this, you know, the simple breakdown of, like, fusion technology, like, I'm not saying I know a ton about it, but the, simply put... Whenever you have a, a, a fusion, whenever you have a fusion reaction, it's extremely hot. And so, cold fusion is talking about being able to have fusion of molecules or atoms, whatever it is you're fusing, without it creating a great overload of heat and energy. Yeah, uh, which is something that that I think. <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't freeze lava. That's not something that cold fusion does. <laughs> no, it's not like a. It's not it's like, not like cold... the primary like use of cold fusion. No, it's a it's an energy generating uh, reaction. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not claiming to know anything about fusion, but I know that it has nothing to do with like freezing things. It's not a freeze bomb. Yeah. It's not a Mister Freeze ray. Well, so moving moving ahead, they save Spock, and of course Uhuru, uh, uh, Uhuru, yeah, Uhura, Uhura, uh, Uhura. Uh, gets mad at Spock, and you know, she's like got her whole thing going on because she's a chick, and they have stuff. Yeah, well, but what about the the positive stuff, like what we were talking about earlier about the um, the way they start both their character arcs? Did you enjoy that part of the movie? The character arcs for Spock and Kirk. Yeah, the way that um, Kirk is the guy that always disobeys orders, and Spock is the guy that always follows orders, and so this is a case where. Because Spock followed orders and because Kirk didn't, now Spock is writing a report and getting Kirk in trouble about... Which is something Kirk should have seen coming. And one of the many things that happened that Kirk just fucking is not paying attention to. Mm -hmm. You know, which is funny. I, I said something before, but uh, I said this, this is a movie that, you know, after having an edible while trying to watch it, um, <laughs> he realized... This is a movie that really seems to be written with a lot of weed thoughts. 
You know, like <laughs> only things you would think of while you're fucking high on weed. Because there were certain things that made sense to me watching it. Yeah. And I don't know why they made sense to me. Like in the moment, I was like, I'm not sure why this makes sense to me. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then like later on, I realized I was like, it's probably because I might have been like a little high. And so... What are some of these clairvoyant thoughts that, uh, that you had? You're, you're asking a, a memory question of somebody who's talking about like thinking crazy things when they're high i got you i got you well uh, moving forward um so con is disguised as sherlock holmes and he's in space (laughs) what kind of choice was that (laughs) well here's the surprising thing for me is i wasn't expecting to see uh benedict cumberpatch uh I didn't expect to see him like you know as a high flying action star, because um, he doesn't do a lot of that in Sherlock Holmes, does he? No. Yeah, and so it was really surprising for me to see him like, you know, just kicking everybody's fucking ass. You know. Well, he's really good at like having like super ultra confidence, even when he's saying things that are stupid and ridiculous. Yeah. That's sort of how I would sum up his whole like. St- like what he's famous for, not not maybe what all he's good at, but that's what he's famous for. Well, I think another thing too that uh, we skipped over, but the the scene where Kirk finds out that uh, Spock ratted him out, and then he's getting really dressed down by his commanding officer, and yeah. you know the joke I I made was how similar that was to like you know I'm taking you off the case, McKirkle. <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean exactly? It means he gets results, you stupid chief! Dad, sit down. <laughs> anyway, I should probably cut that out and just play the real clip. <laughs> so, Good idea. Yeah, but, you know, there's that whole thing, and it's like, oh, well, we're going to we're gonna take away command of Starfleet to you, and it's like, you know he has command of uh, the Enterprise, because you see it in the trailer. So, I don't know why you have this scene. Yeah. And then there's also... Um, sad black dad that uh wants to save his daughter and will do it at any cost and so then he drops his magic ring that khan gives him and blows up the building even though khan has already helped save his daughter's life and at this point this guy should probably go to the police you know and say like hey this guy wants me to do this crazy thing and my daughter's not gonna die as far as i can tell so yeah you know why don't you guys do police stuff to this guy yeah but so then there's that. Um, so <laughs> even though his plan probably shouldn't have worked and backfired at some point, Khan's brilliant strategy works. He causes a major explosion of what everyone thinks is an archive building in London. And then <laughs> for some reason, all of the leaders of Starfleet in the middle of like a huge terrorist attack decide... Let's all get together in one room uh, and sit around a big table with a big window right there and absolutely no protection. Yeah. Uh, we won't have armed guards around. We won't have gun turrets. We won't even have guns on us. We'll have to like hit a hole in the wall to like get guns to come out or something. Yeah, something that I was joking with Manny is that this is kind of like that future from Demolition Man. <laughs> but just sort of treat it a little bit more earnestly. And I kind of thought for a second that's what the movie was going to be about. It was how, um, you know, terrorism, as as we know right now in our time, um, you know, that terrorism and terroristic attacks like that, like Earth, 
has you know become a very peaceful you know planet and civilization and it's been a couple of hundred years and so it's to the point to where they don't expect that sort of thing to happen because they're not conditioned to expect it right um but for some reason like that wasn't what the movie was about and it was like it did start to become a lot more like demolition man you know yeah uh, now, in an attempt to sort of explain what the movie was trying to do, we watched uh, The Wrath of Khan. What was your sort of initial impression of that? Well, like, The Wrath of Khan is, even if you've never seen it, which I hadn't, it was hard to really avoid, like, a lot of the the, the jokes and references that people make to the movie, you know? Yeah. The, the Khan scream and everything else like that. Um, so... You know, other than the stuff that is out there in pop culture, I was, like, only very slightly aware of what the plot was. And spoilers, but the plot of the movie is, you know, they come across um, a race of genetically modified supermen who, have, who were marooned by Captain Kirk 20 years ago on the original Star Trek series. Um, Khan, you know, figures out a way to get himself onto another ship, which the crew to that ship just gone by the end of the movie. Yeah. And, uh, they have a whole thing for Spock, but nobody's ever like, hey, these 500 people that were serving on that ship down the drain, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, job well done, except for Spock. Um, but yeah, so... Khan takes control of the ship. At the same time, there is this whole thing called the Genesis Project, which is, you know, being carried out on Spaceship Regula. Yeah. And, um... Or Space Station Regula. Space Station Regula. And so, um... Yeah, so eventually there's a showdown between Kirk and Khan, who's trying to hunt down Kirk. And at the same time has uh, learned about the Genesis, and so he's trying to get his hands on the Genesis. Uh, There's a little space battle, and uh, then, you know, there's a whole thing where um, Kirk and Spock... No, no, not Spock, because Spock's still on the Enterprise. But uh, Kirk and uh, some of the crew get um, inside the planet where they were operating the Genesis and growing yeah. food for like a day. Yeah. They're playing God. Yeah. You know, they have this device that can create life from it's, nothing. It's very like Garden of Eden kind of life. Yeah. Like that idea of like fruit trees everywhere and just a very simplistic version of like what a, a nature paradise might be like. Yeah. So you have that. Um, and then, of course, uh, Kirk is able to beam back onto the ship because... For some reason, Khan went from being this real brilliant strategist, you know, a a genetically superior Superman, to a guy that can't realize that Spock is saying hours, uh, but saying them as day. Like they're using yeah, it's not a, a an extremely code. no. It's there's nothing genius about this code at all. And maybe that's why Khan didn't see it because Khan is so smart. He's he's hearing that and he's like. He's like, are they using some kind of code? He's like, no, that would be too stupid. Yeah, that would be too I stupid. I don't see how they could be using that code. That's the that's the only justification I can get rewatching it. Like they could have they could have <laughs> sat there and thought of something more clever in that moment. 
Well, I mean, you even had Spock say something like, you know, Captain, hours or days yeah. in this situation. Right. It's like, he just said what the fucking code is. Yeah. Like, that's why when I was watching it, I was like, wait, did they not know Khan was listening in? And then it was like, no, they did know Khan was listening in. And then it's like, well, how did they know Khan was not going to figure it out? Right. <laughs> so Kirk beams back onto the ship. And then they have this whole crazy thing where um, they trick Khan again. They disable his uh, weapons. He's like, Mr. Blow off his... He's like, oh, you tricked me again. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way that they trick him. The way that they trick him is they tell him that they're going to beam over all the information about the Genesis project. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like... Uh, oh, no, I'm going to turn around now and say some stuff, no, but do don't Khan. worry about what I'm saying. I'll do Khan and you do Kirk. Okay. 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 I am going to kill everyone on this ship, Kirk. Oh, uh, well, can't you give me like a little bit of time to get this thing to you? It's a computer file. It's pretty big. It takes a little while. I'll tell you this. Um, why don't you give me everything that you know about the Genesis? Okay. And then you'll spare my crew? No. Okay. Uh, well... All right, I can send that over to you if you want. Yes. Um, hey, everyone, get out of here. Except for you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to send it over now, so just give me access to your computers. <laughs> hey, Sulu, type in this number. It'll allow us to take control of his shields. <laughs> and then over on Conship, they're like, Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> Our shields are down! Cause <laughs> like, get him back up! <laughs> and he just never sees it. Like, the look on all of their faces when they're like, they're like, drats duped again! <laughs> yeah, that much is true. But what I really thought you were going to see is that I thought there was going to be like a fist fight and a, a, a battle between Kirk and Khan. And there wasn't. And like, you know... It's kind of good that there wasn't because knowing Kirk and, you know, Ricardo Montalban and his fake plastic prosthetic chest, yeah. I think it would have looked really bad. But I, I thought that was something that was going to happen. There was going to be a fist fight. You were glad that something other than what you thought was going to happen actually happened? <laughs> yeah. some some le level of that? It's good when, unlike Khan, I, I, well, like Khan, I can't predict what's about to happen. Right. But... Yeah, so they he Kirk again best con blows up most of uh the reliance. And yeah. so then Khan's like, "Well, I got the Genesis device cuz somehow he figured out where the Genesis device was and he beamed it out of the the planet. He had the Genesis device on board the reliance and then he was using the the transportation beam to activate it in a way that was going to blow up his ship." Yeah. Um, and the explosion would be so big that he would take out Kirk, and he was thinking that Kirk didn't have warp engines, but they, like, you know, that was part of their little code trick, was yeah, that... they're fixing the warp. Yeah. And how much time it would take to fix it. And so then, after he blows up uh, the Reliant with the Genesis device, because they're flying through the middle of a nebula, cl nebula cloud. Yeah. And now this is sort of like the whole thing with cold fusion. They hear a word and they're like, cold, cold, like freezing. Like fr they, you freeze stuff, like a volcano. You well, freeze a volcano. this was back in the 80s, so the knowledge of science was different back then. They knew what nebula clouds were, though. But in Hollywood, they're like, they're like nebula cloud, like a storm cloud, like a thunderstorm. They go through the middle of a thunderstorm. <laughs> <laughs> I 
well. Which even Khan's crew tells him before he flies into the nebula cloud. He's like, he's like, why are you slowing down? And he's like, because uh, if we go in there, we're going to get our shit fucked up. He's like, this guy's going to double back on us and get us. And he's like, I don't care. I want to get him anyway. But they're like, but dude, you know what's going to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Yeah. And then he acts like he's surprised when what the guy told him was going to happen, what the audience knew was going to happen, fucking happened. Yeah, all because he's so like hell-bent on revenge. I felt like Ricardo Montalban like pulled off that whole performance, and it was silly and grandiose in a Shakespearean kind of a way, but it was also like space opera fun. I would say. Yeah, it was. I mean, he played so well, like a, a perfect contrast to the the kind of stoic, you know, um, hero that Shatner tries to do. Yeah. Um, and so there was a there was a flourish and a flamboyance to Montalban's performance that I really appreciated. Yeah. You know, again, all, all I remembered was just seeing how he kind of looks like an old lesbian in the movie. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know much about it. But then when I watched the performance, I was like, it's a good, solid performance all the way through. And yeah. you do, like, he is good at being very menacing, but sort of in that um, Heath Ledger is a Joker sort of way, he's entertaining to watch be bad. Yeah, and you know, much like Heath Ledger and Joker, like this franchise was trying to make a turn from like campy '60s to like dark present. Yeah, and like uh, you know, they were trying with the exact same actors in that case. Yeah, and that's something with um, what I was kind of hoping for with Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan in. Um, Con in, in Into Darkness, you know, at, there was a little bit when he was first taken prisoner and he starts kind of telling Kirk, like, you know there's a conspiracy that only I know about. Do you want to know the truth, Captain? You know, and I kind of, I as he starts kind of weaving that yarn for him, I'm like, I'm like, here's going to be this bad guy. And I can see he's setting up a plan where he's manipulating Kirk into doing something and, like, he's been controlling and manipulating this whole situation all along. He yeah. wanted them to show up with the torpedoes. Yeah. He wanted them to take him prisoner. He wanted to get on the ship. Now he wants Kirk to go do this other thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but then after that, it just it got to be like, I'm a bad guy. Can't you see what a bad guy I am? And the reason why I don't think what I do is bad is because I am such a bad guy. Guy. Now is this um, the new con in two thousand nine? Uh, yeah, this is this is uh, Benedict Cumbercon. Um, right, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. Um, yeah. So it just, you know, but uh, it, it was one of those things to where it was like, okay, he can't be beaten. He can't be beaten until now. Spock can beat him. You know. Well, there was a couple things that, that a couple missteps with the new Into Darkness. Like one big obvious ones like they keep adding dumb things to the canon that i really am, am disapproving of like they did red matter in the first one which was a total yeah a total nuts thing to add into the whole universe and then they added transwarp in kirk's time period and in this one they added um, that tribbles can make revival anti-dead juice so now anybody that dies well no not the tribbles it was it was uh uh Cumbercon's Oh, yeah, they blood. tested them on the tribbles. They tested them on the tribble. Right, okay. Which I remember, that was a very weed moment for me where I saw that, and I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, this is like, this is a script that seems like it was written by, like, three Star Trek super fans. 
You know, you had you had a fan of the original series, you had a fan of the next generation, you had a fan of like you know the later movies and and like Deep Space Nine and stuff. The Tribbles is 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 a perfect example of like one of those episodes that like a hater looks at and says, "See how stupid Star Trek is? Look at Tribbles." <laughs> And it's only something that's in one episode. And one... They're living hats. <laughs> I mean, what are they? are balls of fur? Is that, that's just all they yeah, are? Yeah, but I'm not defending them because they're not in the movies. <laughs> it's just some silly thing that they made up. They're like little cute like little cute toys, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, imagine you know, if you had little plush Star Wars pillows. had Ewoks, you know? Yeah. And then Star Wars made it even worse and they had Jar Jar Binks. So Tribbles, people just accept Tribbles, okay? They're they're fine. Forget them. They they're not even not really exist. in the movie. They should not exist in the movie franchise. Yeah, it, well, and they're a perfect example of the fact that like J.J. Abrams, what he did with this movie was just, you know, here's a reference, there's a reference, there's a reference. It was almost like you know a Wayans Brothers movie in the way that it just it didn't do anything original. Yeah, it just did reference, 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 reference. You know, and without. But what about the whole claim I made about the anti-dead juice? I mean, what about how dumb is that to make an anti-dead juice? Well, here's the thing juice? that everybody says about it um, is, you know, why did they have to worry about getting Khan's blood? Like, why didn't they take the blood of any of the 72 other super beings and their ice pods? Well, they had access to their blood, and there's even evidence of them taking their blood samples. Yeah, I mean, like... So there is no reason. It's just a, it's a hole. <laughs> It's it's one of those things to where it's like oh well you got to have the audience like hoping that Spock doesn't kill him you know Spock just takes him alive because Spock always gets his man and it was just one of those things that like let's throw some more tension in this unnecessarily yeah <laughs> um, but I, I just I didn't like the the introduction of some kind of no dying juice because now anytime somebody dies you can just say oh give them this triple juice this triple con juice yeah for as bad as the search for spock was in my opinion at least with that movie they were like okay here's an incredibly crazy scenario in which we bring a character back from the dead that cannot be repeated you and, know uh, well and also um con played in the wrath of con played a villain who like also hated Kirk and they had this like hatred of each other and they had this whole big chess game that they were playing out and I thought the Into Darkness what they could have done differently that would have been amazing is to explore the idea of like what if these two characters would have been friends and would have gotten along and were trying to achieve common goals and like explore a small plot line or explore a time period where they were friends yeah that would have done something a lot more for the story um, maybe have them have been like Starfleet cadets together, something like that. But, um, well, the problem with that, though, is the fact that you, you couldn't have them be friends because, you know, uh, this con was a super uh, man that was woken up from a 300-year slumber or whatever. Like, that's another thing, too. It's like, <laughs> it'd be like if we took... Utsi, the Iceman, and somehow we're able to bring him back to life. And we're like, hey, Utsi, you, you seem like you're a pretty tough guy. Uh, why don't you teach us how to make weapons? I know. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that's crazy is that he's good at, you know, he's good at strategy and on-the-fly strategy. He should have a plan with Admiral Marcus where Admiral Marcus is going to be the president and he's going to be, like, the general. And he's going to engage in, like, 
you know, get us wrapped up in this, like, Klingon war. No, kid, you're here to make weapons. You're going to make us weapons. Now go over there, and we got your 72 buddies in the freezer, so don't worry about them. Make us 72, 72 torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, they got to be 72 photon torpedoes. No, no, when he, when he goes Which, to... Uh, torpedoes, you're in space, man. Like, you're not underwater. When he goes... Well, everything has to be... Um... Naval references that in the Star Trek universe. You don't have fucking photon missiles? They have missiles, but they also have torpedoes. Well, would you not be able to hide your friend's uh, uh, cryotube inside of a missile? Oh, no, no, the way it happened was <laughs> Khan went to... Khan... <laughs> Wait a minute, Khan, what are you doing? Why are all these torpedoes shaped like coffins? No, what happened I was... said make regular torpedoes. These are much too big. We will have to make whole new torpedo cannons to use these special coffin-sized, coffin-shaped uh, cannon, uh, torpedoes. What happened was Khan went to Admiral Marcus and knocked on his door and was like, you know those missiles that you asked for? Yes, uh, I made you 72 of them. Khan, didn't you have 72 shipmates frozen in cryotubes? Uh, 73, sir. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> well, because you even have that part in the movie when, right before uh, Cumber Khan uh, uh, um, surrenders himself, where he's like, You, you said you came here to shoot torpedoes at me. Uh, how many do you have exactly? And they're like, 72. And he's like, Oh, okay. Well, perfect then. <laughs> or no. They're like, why do you ask? He's like, oh, no reason. <laughs> no, Admiral Marcus brings an order to him that's like, here, build 72 torpedoes. And he's like, Admiral Marcus, 72, that's an interesting number. How'd you come up with that one? It's like, well, it's the same number of friends that you have on the crew, right? <laughs> I thought I'd order that many. <laughs> Cumbercon has a little Facebook page, and if you scroll down to friends, it's exactly 72 friends. <laughs> no wonder he's such a dick. On this. He looks over at Kirk. Kirk's got 4,500. He's almost at the max limit of friends. And Cumbercon is like 72 friends. But he's, That's all I got. But he's so old that he has a MySpace, and his top six <laughs> friends are all in crying. <laughs> <laughs> He put them all in cryo tubes because he's scared of losing his friends list. <laughs> he petitioned, he petitioned, he petitioned Dave with MySpace to allow him to have a top seventy-two. Yeah, <laughs> so no one would feel left out. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his friend Zach is like, "Why is Abigail your first friend?" And he's like, "Well, I did it in alphabetical order. That way, you can't get on me for it." <laughs> I don't want anyone to feel like more of my friend than someone else. Oh my god. <laughs> well, I, 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 don't, I don't think we have a full uh, like pitch for this one, but... Um, no, no, we're not doing a pitch for it. We're just gonna... You, you got really crazy about the idea of me watching fucking uh, three Star Trek movies. Yeah, well, you, you, you wanted to watch four, and I said, oh, that's too many. Yeah, I know. It was it was crazy. Yeah, so I had to go back. That's why I watched uh, uh, Into Darkness. Yeah, last. That's night. why I watched Into Darkness by my well with my girlfriend last night. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my feeling on it is, you know, I know that you haven't seen the whole trilogy, but you've sort of gotten the essence of it. I think you've gotten to meet those characters more than you had before, at least. Well, I would like to talk a little bit about um, 
um, search for Spock, and then what I what I did see and what you told me about Journey Home. Oh sure, Voyage Home, yeah. Voyage Home, yeah. Um, sure. Search for Spock looks like a TV movie. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, because it came out in like '84. Right? Yeah, well, the politics behind that one, and I explained this to you before we watched it, but the politics behind that one was that the actor Leonard Nimoy, uh, who recently passed, um, he wanted either no more of Star Trek, or he wanted out, yeah, he wanted out of Star Trek, so he was like, I'll only do this movie if I die at the end. And then when they were trying to renegotiate with him for the sequel, which is, um, this is the sequel, no, okay, this is the sequel. So he did that for Wrath of Khan. He negotiated that he would do yeah, the movie, but that, only if he died at the end. Yeah, if he died at the end. And then, so f- when the negotiations for the third one, Search for Spock, came around, they had this whole idea of trying to uh, revive Spock and how you could do Resurrect it. him. Yeah, resurrect him. And they set it up in the Genesis movie, but it was one of those things where it's like they either could or could not pay that stuff off. They had the choice. And he held held them to a certain amount of ransom and made them let him direct the movie. But in spite of him, they gave him like a stunted budget is the way I understand it. But I could have some of the facts wrong. So my theory is that he spent all of his money on like the space dock sequence and he didn't have anything left for <laughs> Vulcan at the end He's of like, the movie. He's like, we've got to get the, the space dock sequence perfect. Yeah, because... You know, you could imagine what a, a Genesis world, it'd be like a world from Journey to the Center of the Earth or a world of, of the Garden of Eden, and you can imagine having like some fun adventure there with some interesting bad guy, but instead they've got Doc Brown in a Klingon outfit out there screaming, Tukak! Huk! <laughs> Which is very annoying. Great Scott! <laughs> Wrong movie, Lord! My! No. What, was, what was the... TV show that had the slee stacks on it. It was like Lost World or something like that. I think that sounds that sounds right. Yeah, uh, Lost. They they did a they did a movie version of it with uh, Will Ferrell that just isn't good. We should do a sequelitis on that. Oh yeah, but I've seen uh, that one. whatever that show was called, Land of the Lost. Yeah, Land of the yeah. Lost. Like I I almost feel like Land of the Lost sets look just as good as Search for Spock genesis sets yeah um because we were laughing about how in wrath of Khan there was a funny shot where it's it's a map painting of the little garden of eden that they have in the cave yeah and what they do in the in the uh kind of medium shots is they have waterfalls on the other side from kirk and uh uh whatever her name dr marcus yeah and what they do is they use backlighting to give the effect of like, you know, flowing, shimmering water. Yeah. But when they cut out to the wide shot, the long shot, um, the waterfalls, because it's just a matte painting, um, it's just frozen in place. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty funny. But as bad as, as that set might have been, and it, it was a pretty decent set, and I'm sure it looked great on the screen in the 80s. Um, <clears throat> The sets in Search for Spock are so bad and so cheap, and they get worse as the movie goes along. Yeah, that's true. Like, they kind of start off, and at one point, I remember making a joke. I was like, I was like, look, we're on Dagobah. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, they also have a series of, like, weird little pet dog monsters and worm monsters. Oh, my God. Such yeah, a bad the dog, The dog... Okay, so... Um, uh, Doc Brown Klingon, he has this, like crazy dog that looks almost like the little laughing guy from uh, return of the jedi yeah um 
you know, when they go to Jabba's lair. I thought lair, it was more as like a Skeksy from Dark Crystal. It was kind of a combination of the two. Like he looks like he looks like shit, but he looks even more shitty because it's just a cheap rubbery puppet. <laughs> you know, and it looks like someone poured KY jelly all over it and yeah. called it a day. And they keep like holding these loving shots on it. And it's like it looks so bad. bad like yeah. what was Leonard Nimoy thinking when he shot that? But then <laughs> but then um, Doc Brown Klingon goes down to uh, the surface of Genesis and he comes up to the um, coffin torpedo for uh, Spock, which I don't know why coffin torpedoes are so popular in this movie series, but they are. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we'd seen it earlier, there were these like weird, like kind of trilobite snail looking creatures. Yeah. They were just having a big fucking orgy yeah, underneath it. Yeah, that was it. gross. And it was so gross. And they were like, they've they've been fruitful and multiplied. It was like, uh, so what, they're all humping on the ground right now? Yeah, they're all fucking and they're covered in juices. Well, so what, what's your final thoughts? We gotta, we gotta get out okay, of okay, this, okay. this podcast. But yeah, no, just the part when um, Christopher Lloyd's Klingon, like, just for no reason, doesn't explain why, wrestles one of the worm creatures, which are now, like, they've evolved to just longer penis-y, you know, worms. That but is, yeah, that is the single most randomest thing that ever happens in that movie. <laughs> it's like a deleted scene that they just kept in the movie. It really is. <laughs> it's like, here's an effect we finished. I guess we can put this in the movie. But yeah, then he and Kirk have one of just... I mean, I can't imagine like how the fights on the series could have looked worse than the fights in the movie. You know, because when he fights his son in, in Star Trek II, like, that's pretty... like. That looks pretty bad, and that's by far the best fight scene that he does in any of these movies. Well, can I ask you a question? Sure. So I'm trying to figure out how to shape exactly it is what I'm trying to know from your experience, but what were some of the themes, like characters and plot lines that kind of came and went in that trilogy as far as you saw it? Well, there was uh, there was a whole theme about like aging, getting older, um, you know, and kind of how that feeds back into the cycle of life. Um, you have the Genesis Project, which is all about rejuvenation and uh, life creating from life. Death, life from nothing. Exactly. You know, you have these dead planets, and then when you get to Search for Spock, there was the whole life cycle of the planet and the life cycle of you know the Spock who somehow magically cloned himself and came back to life on yeah. the surface of this planet. Yeah, that was um, a bit of a plot contrivance. There was that. Uh, they don't really get into it, but you pointed it out to me. But there was the mating session between, um, yeah, the Savik Savik and uh, yeah, Mr. Savik and Mr. Spock. Yeah, Mr. Which it's not gay. Don't don't worry if you're like an anti-gay person. It's not gay in that movie. Mr. Savik um, and Mr. Spock love each other. Yeah, Mr. Savik is a female version of a Vulcan. Mr. Savik's love is as good as any other Vulcans. Played incredibly sexily by Kirstie Alley in Star Trek II and played... Uh, Robin Curtis. By Robin Curtis in the next two movies. Uh, I, yeah. I, I definitely I mean, prefer the and, Robin and, Curtis to take the truth. <clears throat> um, no. I do like... I mean, I love Kirstie Alley in that part, of course, but... Yeah, you know, I just I part with her because I know that she she was probably approached to do the movie. She was probably worth too much, and so they had to get somebody else. And so yeah, uh, you know I appreciate somebody else stepping into that because that's a, a hard thing for somebody to do. They're like, who's somebody that has the same color hair and looks nothing like Kirstie Alley? She really uh, does. Robin Harris. She really doesn't. No, she doesn't look like her at all. 
but um, Robin Curtis, yeah, yeah, Robin Curtis. Um, no, but if you want to watch a good, funny, entertaining scene, you can go on the YouTubes and look for the scene where Kirstie Alley as Savick is in her little nighty. And for some reason, she's just walking around the ship, and then Kirk comes out and gets super pervy. <laughs> Wait, they're in an elevator together, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what was going on. And then, and then... Bone says, who's holding up the damn elevator? <laughs> All right, well, I think that's, I think that's the end wait, of the Wait, wait, wait. I do want to talk about real quickly. Um, so search for Spa, or not search, Voyage Home. Yeah. There are some funny parts in that. Uh, there are some very funny scenes and um yeah, you were laughing very genuinely even though you weren't paying like full attention but you were definitely laughing hard and, well um, the, just the whole thing with with you know people in you know 1986 san francisco yeah. not being able to understand spock and who spock is and everything that was great and then also there's the further confusion because this is a clone of spock yeah. Who doesn't have all of his old Spock memories right so he's having to navigate this thing kind of by the seat <clears throat> of his pants and Kirk is very understanding. He's very patient with him. And major props to them for filming a scene of Leonard Nimoy as Spock doing a Vulcan mind meld with a fucking whale. <laughs> I mean, you were, you were... Well, and, then, and then there was the whole scene where they oh. drop Spock off and Kirk's in the truck with uh, the the chick that works with the whales and he's basically like well buddy see you later i'm off to get some fucking earth poon yeah and then they were sitting down and having dinner and he's trying to explain to her that he's from the future that uh he wants to take the whales back with her and just <laughs> she's like she's like yeah okay sounds good <laughs> Well, and then they beam the whales on board the ship, and I guess everything is happy in the end. The probe that was destroying the Earth, once it hears the whales, it's like, oh, okay. Whoops, didn't know I was hurting you guys, but glad to hear the whales are here. All right, see you later. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And that's what we're going to say. Just like the space probe that's destroying the Earth. But what about like the life and death of Spock? Did you sort of get that the whole trilogy was kind of about that as well? Yeah, well, that's something that you do have in uh, Star Trek IV is that they are doing the thing where it's a much more innocent, simpler Spock. Mm -hmm. That he has all of his intelligence, but you know everything he's ex he's encountering is kind of a new concept in a new world, and you're seeing him kind of learn that and get familiarized with it, you know. And then you you have you know uh, Kirk who's with him, and he sees in him the old Spock that he knows so well. Yeah. But he's also realizing this is a different Spock, and he's having to adjust to that. There, there was some of that, and I don't know if that was just something in there for the audience, if it was a theme that uh, Leonard Nimoy really wanted to explore, and whoever it is that wrote this. But you do get that in, in Star Trek Four, And the whole movie does have a much different vibe and, and tone to it and everything. Because it's crazy. There is a threat against the Earth, but it's not a malevolent threat. It's, right. it's almost like a sort of... Um, what is it? Uh, Biological uh, man versus nature. It's just a it's a it's a threat that does not have any self awareness. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, and so you don't have like a villain of this movie, right? <clears throat> and you just have these situations where because there's not like 
there's not this immediate threat that's on them in the form of like somebody whose eyes they can look into. There's a much more relaxed feel to this movie. Yeah. Um, it definitely looks a lot better, but that's also because Leonard Nimoy probably realized like I don't want to set this on another alien world because it's gonna look like shit. Let me just go to San Francisco. We'll just put in the plot that like the San Francisco they travel back to is the same San Francisco we're in right now. Right. It's and very they, and they Terminator Genesis like, sort of convenience. And they famously shot on the real streets of San Francisco, and some of those interactions with citizens were like legitimate. With them just dressed as characters and going up to people. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> well, I gotta say, if if you want to waste some time and watch some movies, uh, you can do much much worse than um, those three Star Trek movies. Yeah. Um, you know, again, if you're curious, watch Search for Spock. I will probably never watch it again, except maybe to laugh at some stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think I think like as much as people can be entertained by how good some of the themes and ideas and performances are in Wrath of Khan, yeah. I think people can be just as entertained by Voyage Home for sort of the different tone and feel that the yeah, movie has. I totally Plus, agree. It, it, is, it is a mystery where you're trying to figure out, along with the characters, like what is going on. And they literally don't know any more than the viewer does. They're figuring yeah. it out step by step. And I love it when stories are able to do that. Yeah. And they I even when a plan comes together. And they even give the plot contrivance that they're able to figure out that they're looking for humpback whale noises. And that's that's like, oh, lucky guess. You know, I'm glad that we figured that out. Like, what if they hadn't figured out that exact species? Yeah, that would be like you and I trying to figure out like uh, what feather we need from a bird that's been extinct for about 500 years. Right, exactly. It's a very interestingly difficult uh, thing to ascertain, <laughs> but Spock's like, "Ah, oh, it's a humpback whale." When you listen to it underwater, it's like, "Okay, bro." I tell you what, the scene—the scene with Scotty using the using the nineteen eighty six computer. Hello, computer. <laughs> you that have had... to use the keyboard. Ah, a keyboard. How quaint. That that had to that had to be like that could have been a really goofy scene because like when he starts like. You know, he's magically able to make the computer do all these crazy things yeah. without knowing anything else about the computer. His magic um, formulas start popping up about science. It was funny because I feel like that was a nod to the audience and saying, like, look, we understand. These are the real things you deal with. You know these things are real. Yeah. And it is silly that we have computers to where we're just like, it's easier for me to talk to you, computer, than to actually have to, like, wait for me to type it in, yeah. you know? You've got that. And yeah. they are acknowledging, like, kind of how silly it is. By doing it in this reverse fashion, and there's a lot of smart stuff in that movie. Yeah. With the comedy, I did like when you said it was a funny movie. I thought maybe it was just funny because like it had a lot of goofy stuff, like uh, Search for Spock did. Yeah. But it's not unintentionally uh, hilarious. It's intentionally. A there is intentional humor in it. Yeah, and it works. So, Working humor. And yeah. So so watch those. Don't watch. Um, don't watch Star Trek. Into darkness. No, I think they can save the the Star Trek new uh, series of movies. I think with the right set of writers, yes, it can be done. What would you like to see done with the next uh, Abrams uh, Star Trek? Well, I haven't given it a super shit ton of thought, and I know <laughs> that they've probably already got the script in place. So I don't know how much change I could affect at this point. Yeah, but we're playing fantasy filmmakers here. We can do whatever we want. But I mean. Um, at this point, you've sort of treaded on old Star Trek a little much, and it's definitely time to take a step off of Star Trek, is like canon, and like maybe have them run into a new race, a new and interesting race, 
that are surviving in space in a new and interesting way, and however it is that they're surviving in space somehow comes into conflict with how we survive in space, and there is some sort of storyline that has to play out because of it. I mean, I don't, I don't have a ton of details sort of thought out, but I would say essentially let's think about what we can create that's new, and let's not, let's not, oh, I don't know. Or you could do, you could, you could reintroduce the Klingons, and you could try to. Well, and I know you and I we talked about doing something. Um, well, that's a different story, but I do think that something that was really smart, and I'm surprised they don't have these in the newer Star Trek movies, and that is someone like, you know, how Kirk and Sulu hacked into uh, the Reliance, you know, uh, defense system, oh, took you, down their shields. Yeah, that is a good idea. So I you, mean, that's something to where... You like that for Star Trek, though? I that's definitely like that. Oh, and, and here's bad. another complaint. Here's another complaint I that's have a, about idea, Into Darkness. First of all, the whole sequence where Kirk goes into the radioactive chamber and, like, tries to realign the two things... That's that's a bad story because first of all, like I can't imagine that the ship wouldn't have a system in place to where if it's possible that it could get uh, misaligned, that it wouldn't have a system to realign itself. Like there are so many basic things that that you know exist that have exactly that. Well, they they basically illustrate it as being it does have that mechanism, but it's just jammed or stuck. And so in in the process of telling it to go, at the same time, he just wants to kind of slap it on the back and like have it re-energize the motors. I, I think they're going for that in their own weird way. It just didn't come across very well. Second of all... It's too simplistic if it's, of if a, it's a If it's a situation to where it is an environment that is deadly to human beings, first of all, it'd be a lot harder to get into it. You'd need like some kind of a firewall around it, which maybe they had and they just kind of bypassed that whole thing. But it's completely insane that, number one, they wouldn't have a suit that they could wear if they had to go into that environment. But it makes much more sense. This is a very advanced, technologically advanced civilization and society. They'd have goddamn robots doing so much of the goddamn stuff that they do on that ship. Mm -hmm. And you never see a goddamn robot. You know, and this is... Star Wars has robots. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's definitely somewhere where Star Trek tends not to go, is with the robots. Yeah. It's probably because of the expense of actually pulling off like a good robot effect. As I would say, we gotta save money for those lens flares. Because I'm J.J. Abrams, and I know that Steven Spielberg likes them, so I like them. They're they're great. They're the tits. I like them too. So that's Matt signing off. We gotta get out of here. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We're gonna do a little cover. This is from a TV show. You probably didn't know it had even lyrics on it. So we're gonna take you to school now. Did you take a road trip to check us out somewhere else? Beyond the rim of the starlight My love is wandering in starflight I know he'll find in star-cluster creatures One strange love a star woman teaches I know Star Trek must go on forever, but tell him as he wanders the story, remember, remember me, remember me, remember me.